Hi and welcome to the Near Post. I am Nick Amos and with me in the studio I have Gerald. We're doing the dynamic duo thing this week. How are you today? Oh, good afternoon, Nick. Look, I'm, I'm fighting fit. Looking forward to spending the next 30 minutes talking about the game we all love. Yeah. So we had a, we've had a, a very tumultuous couple of days in uh, Australian football. Uh, we're really itching to talk about all the stuff. But first off, we'll go through the normal formalities. If you want to tell us how much you like the show, you can contact us on our email, nearpressradio at gmail.com. Uh, to access this program, you obviously either A, the current radio that you are listening to, or B, the online format. So we've got the podcast on Nearpost Football under iTunes. Uh, alternatively, you have the blog, which is nearpostfootball uh, at blogspot.com. Oh, no, sorry, nearpost.blogspot.com. You got it. Yeah, second try. Uh, I have had a week off, guys. Just uh, let me reacclimate myself to the runnings of the program. So, yeah, uh, general blog posts on that blog as well as the weekly podcast. Um, so a lot's happened in the week that you've been away, yes, Nick. Yes, it's <laughs> well, yeah, it's been, it's been pretty good, pretty awesome, I have to say. The Mariners got a, a lovely 5-0 win on Thursday night. Um, and then we've, we've seen a number of our exits... Uh, regarding, you know, players having their contracts torn up and all that sort of stuff yesterday. Or and, indeed managers yeah, being sacked. Yeah, and, and amidst all that, we re-signed Michael McGlinchey for another two seasons. So we're flying right in the face of uh, the current trends in Australian football at the moment, which is quite good for me. <laughs> and it's also good for the Mariners towards the end of the season, Nick, because yeah. I reckon about now, this is when it really starts starting the hot up. Yeah, yeah. We've got um, Asian Champions League matches coming up in the next couple of weeks as well. Uh, actually, Brisbane Raw play a qualifier tomorrow night uh, against Buriram United. I, I obviously butchered that pronunciation, but <laughs> any Indonesian viewers want to give me the correct one, they can contact us on their <laughs> yeah. previously mentioned email. So, look. So, so, what's happened in that space? Um, I was aware there was something going with um, um, the Raw actually looking at changing their um, their venues for it. Yeah. So, the Raw were actually given the home the home tie for the qualifier. Is this a one off? playoff to get into the group stage. It's Group E, I think they're going to go into, which is uh, with Vigalta Sendai, uh, Jiangsu Senti, or, yeah. So the runners-up are the Japanese and Chinese leagues, Chinese, and the winners of the Korean League, who I think was Pohang. I'm not entirely sure on that one, but, yeah. It's on my next page here. Um, but, yeah, so basically, because there was the NRL All-Stars match last weekend, uh they weren't allowed to access Suncorp Stadium. So the they offered, you know, to uh, rearrange it. And then the Indonesian side was all, was all like, well, if you're going to rearrange it, we'd like to have it in Indonesia at our stadium because you're inconveniencing us by changing the date, rah, 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 all that sort of stuff. So they rearranged it to Wednesday. And unfortunately, uh, they've, had, they've had to play on Sunday because, well, that's just what the FFA schedule had. And, the, look, the Raw went to the FFA and said, hey, could you maybe move our game to a Friday night or even just Saturday during the day so we don't have to, you know, play on the Sunday and then travel Monday, 
get there Tuesday and then play that sort of thing. Is there possibly another angle here in regard to this game being played now in Indonesia? What do we know about the um, the ground that's being played? I'd I'd love to know what sort of contractual obligations um, there are in this, i.e. are we looking at possibly getting a big Indonesian crowd there? And if that's the case, um, do the Raw actually, are they actually entitled to some of the um, um, the attendance um, money for that? I'm not quite sure. Mm. I think, I know for... You know, your usual continental matches, I think it's just the home side keeps the gate sort of thing. But if if it's a one-legged playoff, maybe it is uh, split between the two sides. But mm. it's interesting because Brisbane Royal actually owned by an Indonesian consortium, the Bakri Group. So, oh, the plot thickens. So, yeah, um, mm. maybe maybe this could be a, a chance for them to develop some market penetration. Mm. Yeah, possibly, or, or indeed you could take the cynical perspective on this. I actually think that... Um, what the Raw have done by not necessarily pursuing, and certainly not publicly, that um, the game be actually transferred or or moved to another particular place where the Australian public can enjoy a um, um, an international club fixture. Um, they've actually reneged on that. They yeah. will actually be playing over uh, overseas. You, you hmm. would have thought that they maybe could have tried to get it to move to Skill Park. You know, yep. got the Gold Coast uh, hunting ground. Yep, so or indeed a little further north for those disenfranchised um, supporters in for the Townsville region, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Look, obviously, they're they're much more comfortable, you know, playing mm. away. I guess. And in that sense, I suppose there's some criticism about um, lack of transparency within the FFA. It would, uh, would be it would have been really interesting if they'd re- released a, um, a press release um, just on why they've um, chosen to do what it is that they've done. Yeah, well, mm. it, it's it's kind of funny because they re- they chose not to rearrange the match schedule for Brisbane Raw, and then they did it not two weeks later for Wellington Phoenix because there's a World Cup qualifier coming up, and most of their side will be selected. So In- inconsistent. Yeah, Brisbane Raw are a bit mm. uh, miffed at that decision. Mm. Uh, but yeah, going right. back to some more of the con- the previous uh, comments on contracts and you know people leaving positions and all that jazz. So um, on the weekend we had a bit of a a few reports coming in that Jason Kalina and Frank Farina had had a bit of a bust up at training. So so um, this is, this is your standard player v v manager or coach bust up. Yeah, yep. there's only one winner there. Yes, uh, so obviously the Sydney FC board threw their support behind Farina. All the backroom staff were on Farina's side as well. So it was announced yesterday that they had agreed to terminate his contract. So what what I've been told that has happened, uh, there was a lovely little uh, series of tweets from someone who was on there, actually at the event, was that they were, it was a training game between you know Sydney FC and the reserves, shall we say, and Farina asked Kalina if he would swap bibs with uh, Peter Triantis, who actually scored on, on the weekend. Uh, Kalina obviously automatically took this as a sign that he wasn't going to be starting the match on the weekend and refused to swap with Triantis. Straight away, starting to sound a little childish, Nick. So, yeah, he's he's basically just been asked to swap. You know, maybe maybe Triantis has, you know, been been in some good form. Maybe he's, Farina's trying to figure out some tactics whether, during late, later on in the game if he needs to bring on a player, you know, some fresh legs to open it up. But yeah, basically, Clean has overreacted, started shouting at um, Farina, threw his bib on the ground in, you know, no obvious descent, and stormed off the pitch. And then, obviously, later on, you know, everyone's well, kind of said, "Jason, you're a bit of an idiot there." <laughs> yeah, the clash of the egos, and it was only going to be one one winner there, Nick. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. However, Cleaner, despite being 32 years of age and only really playing playing like five games of football in the last, you know, two seasons, two seasons. Has decided he's not going to uh, call it a quit, call it quits on his career, and is going to look for a club. So that he joins uh, Harry Kuehl and Lucas Neal and David Carney as 
former Socceroos or maybe current quasi-current Socceroos mm. who are without a club at the moment. Completely unattached. Of course, I think that what's the, the question that gets raised with um, Kalinda's issue is, is he available to play for another A-League club within the next 10 weeks of the season? I believe he is because he is now technically a free agent, so he can sign with anyone. As long as they have the room in the salary cap, mind you. Right, of course, and um, he would um, actually come with a fairly high price, I would imagine, well, in that regard. it kind of depends. Like, <coughs> I feel he joined Sydney FC on a, a reduced salary because he hadn't played so much in two years, and then I feel like he'd have to lower his asking price a little bit more now after this latest incident. You would think his stock's plummeting a bit, and he... If he wants to start playing regularly, he's going to have to lower his demands. So, indeed, do you think that there would be um, other A-League managers knocking on his door, or do you think his agent would be out there knocking on A-League doors? There's not many clubs who have that space in the salary cap now, I think. Um, there has been suggestions that maybe Perth Glory could go in for him, just because they, they need a bit of a versatility in that central midfield department, because Liam Miller has been really a shadow of his former self uh, of, of late, or... Basically, mm. the entire Perth Glory side has been a shadow of their former selves of late. Correct. Mm. Um, the other club that really only ha- really has room in the salary cap is the Mariners, but Graham Arnold has a strict uh, no dickheads policy, so <laughs> I don't think he's going to get a run there. Mm. So, look well, up. watch his space. I think it could be interesting yeah. to see what happens with uh, with Kalina. Yeah. Uh, mm. Speaking of Perth Glory, actually, obviously. Uh, they have been in really bad run of form late, lost five in a row, haven't won in eight matches. They are now propping up the ladder, which is the first time they've been in that position all season. So they, the club has decided to part ways with Ian Ferguson, the coach many people didn't want to start with. So Tony Sage came out today, and sorry, yesterday, and announced this. Uh, former under-17s coach Alastair Edwards has now taken over. He was our assistant national technical director, I believe. Um, he actually came down in, in Canberra, came down to Canberra for the National Coaching Conference for the last couple of years. Um, very very intelligent um, football footballing brain. Um, Vitor Sobral was uh, full of compliment, compliments and praise for him, saying that he's part of the new school of uh, deep-thinking coaches in, in, uh, in the mould of an Arnold, a Postacoglu, of a Popovich. So, Ex-Glory? Yeah, ex-Glory mm. player as well. So there, there's some nice links for him there. However, I'm not really sure seven games is enough time to work his magic, uh, especially seeing as Sage has come out since then and said that they're going to conduct a global international search for a new manager. <laughs> I'd like, like that, yeah. yeah. Well, I've got to admit, if I um, play the devil's advocate here, clearly the, um, the glory have had a terrible couple of months, and um, indeed they are actually at the bottom of the league. But in saying that, though, they are only a game and a half away from the, um, the top six, um, such as the nature of the, le- the A-League this season. Um, two positive results over the next two or three weeks, and um, they may indeed still be with a chance of pinching that sixth place. But um, that's more a reflection on the, um, the league this season than it is about how poorly Glory have been playing. So we'll, we'll see. Yeah. Mm. And it, it is interesting to note, though, that Perth Glory have the worst attack in the A-League, despite possessing one of the most prolific strikers in A-League history in Shane Smeltz. Mm. Mm. Yeah, so. that's, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. And, and perhaps they even suffer from the fact that I think as far as the playing styles of most of the teams that play in the A-League, um, the Glory are very different. They, I think they really do reflect the... Um, um, the traditional British style of... Correct, and they've got a manager who indeed reinforced that as well. So um, this indeed may end up being a, a watershed for the club, but um, only time will tell. Yeah. Okay, uh, so in regards to more contract uh, disputes and all that sort of jazz, so... 
uh, actually, this is probably a slightly better piece of news here. Uh, Melbourne Victory have added another um, former Socceroo defender to their squad during this this campaign. Uh, Daniel Mullen, who used to play for Adelaide United, has uh, signed with them on an injury replacement contract after Nick Ansell was ruled out for, I believe, the rest of the season. Um, so he's come from, wait, no, it's probably like a six weeks maybe. So mm. basically the rest of the season from our Chinese Super League club, Dalian Erbian. A so, good, a- good acquisition, I think, Nick. Yes, mm. he's, he's been a very handy player for Adelaide United, plays central defence slash right back, so he mm. does offer them a bit of um, versatility there. And obviously defence is the one thing Melbourne Victory just haven't been able to get quite right so far. I mean, it is, it is improving a lot, but this will give them those extra options coming into that final spring. I think so too. The the strength of the side and certainly the way that Postacoglu has got them playing is that, um, that their strength is going forward and it has been a, um, a bit of a problem on the back, uh, at the back. Um, I think um, replacing an injured um, player straight away really is a reflection of the fact that um, Postacoglu understands that. They, they don't want a thin squad. They want to ensure that coming into the most important part of the season, they're going to keep as much depth as they can. So He's been, he's been very active uh, in, this, in this season in regards to transfers, bringing in a lot of players, axing a lot of players as well, releasing terminated contracts and all that sort of stuff. Turning players over. Yeah, mm. so mm. it's, it's a very similar to what he did at the Royal, um, big, big clear out, or as clear, much of a clear out as he possibly could, and then he's starting to put his own stamp on the squad with his own signings. So they're, they're now third in the ladder, they did have a bit of a shock loss to Adelaide on Friday night, but uh, coming up against the Western Sydney Wanderers in Melbourne this weekend, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, bet against them. They're still very uh, good. Incredibly interesting game this one this yeah. this weekend. Nick. Mm. Yeah, um, we may actually just move on to the weekend's action. Uh, the, the weekend just gone. Sorry. So uh, kicking off on fr- on Thursday, uh, my favourite match of the round. Obviously, a lot of people will disagree with me here. Do you know why we actually had the game on the Thursday this week? Is I there... have absolutely no clue. Mm. I, I I really think that was a bad choice because uh, you do have school holidays, but. Over now. So and you have your Friday night shopping, yeah. so you people that factor well, those things into the line. It, yeah, so late night shopping is on a Thursday in the Central Coast, and uh, as, as well, not as you may know, but most of the Central Coast does commute from Sydney, uh, mm. no, sorry, to Sydney to for Sydney. work. So school night, people at shops, people on the way back from work. It was a 7 o'clock kickoff as well, so most of the Central Coast doesn't get home until about 7.30 from Sydney, so... It was a pretty bad crowd. It was about 6,500. 6,500. So it's dropped the crowd average for the season under 10,000 for us, which is a bit disappointing. But, yeah, and it wasn't against uh, big-name opposition either. So I thought that was a bit of a poor decision on the FFA's part. I feel like maybe a Saturday or or even a Sunday. They only had one match on the Sunday. Mm. A Sunday kickoff would have been a far better option than Thursday night. I have got to admit it is pretty disappointing that the outstanding footballing side has been the Mariners so far this season and um, that hasn't been reflected in the number of bums on seats at the ground so yeah. that, that is disappointing. We do have to remember that the Mariners do have the smallest catchment area for supporters so mm. to get pretty similar crowds to what Melbourne Heart have achieved well actually better crowds sorry than what Melbourne Heart have achieved this season is still a fairly good effort mm. but look at the there should be improvement from last season, which there hasn't been at the moment. Despite the fact that they haven't lost a game at home all season, which is their best defensive record, their best home record since the club was formed. Mm. They actually, they actually used to be really woeful at home. I remember going to see them, and they'd lose all the time, and then I'd watch them on the TV the next weekend away, and they'd win it, and I was like, oh, maybe they'll come back and give us an actual good game, and then they'd lose again. 
Uh, I, I think the Mariners' biggest enigma is Daniel Breen at the top of the goal-scoring yeah, charts. I, 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 can't, I can't quite <laughs> describe it either, but he's scoring, that's all that really matters for me. <laughs> but yeah, mm. So it was a 5-0 win for the Mariners on Thursday night. Thursday night mm. Bernie Abini got a double, which was nice to see. He's been very inconsistent with his form lately. Um, Hutchinson got one, McBreen got his customary goal, and Mitchell Duke came on late in the game to chip in with a strike as well. They're your side, Nick. What? What... What's their strength? What's their strength been in where they are in the season at the moment? Consistency. So, basically, the back five doesn't change. Like, obviously, we've had some problems with injuries and suspensions, but the only... So, basically, we have a a setback four, which is Bowich, Sainsbury, Swanswijk, and Josh Rose. And then, depending on who has been missing, you've had Zach Anderson come into the side, and that's it. Like... So Matt Ryan hasn't changed position apart from when he's been away from with the Socceroos, and that was only like two games. Justin Passfield came in. But the squad has been together for at least for three, about three seasons now. It's basically the same core side. The defense is basically the same every match. Then you've got the midfield. You have Hutchinson and Montgomery, who basically start every match. So it's not just the consistency. They actually have had less, less players than just about any other club playing less in the first 11. Yep. Less injuries as well. They um, conducted a study last season, and out of all the clubs in the league, the Mariners uh, had, I think it was, almost three weeks less um, players out with injuries games. than any other side in the mm. competition. So uh, yep. a lot of credit has to go to Andrew Clark. He's the, um, the club fitness guru. And look, it's just they, the, all the players know exactly what they have to do in a game. And it's very clear instructions. They've got a sound defensive platform. And obviously the attack doesn't go well all the time. But they've still been able to get results when they haven't been playing well, thanks to maybe a lucky goal. Or they've been able to hold out in defense to get a draw when they've been really outplayed, Mm. such as we saw in that Melbourne victory game in Launceston. Yeah, credit to Arnold and credit to the club, I think. Yeah, Yeah. Mm. Yeah, uh, moving on now. So Friday night was a pretty, pretty interesting result. Adelaide United got a 1-0 win over Melbourne Victory. Uh, Very different Adelaide than the week before. Yes, yes. Mm. They've been pretty good at home, I must say. Uh, But obviously they've been very, very, very average away from home. And many expected Adelaide to, you know, know, keel over and die in terms of title challenge this week. When when last we spoke, um, did they have a, a manager? Sorry? When last we spoke, they, they lost Cosmina as well. So, you know, in that sense, that's actually thrown. Oh, the, right, the club yeah, right sorry. Mm, that's, the, yeah. that's the other point of news mm. I missed. John Cosmina left the club. He, he resigned, that's right. Mm. And uh, Michael Valcanis, the former LA defender, has come into the hot seat. Yeah, look, uh, maybe, maybe that is what they needed a nice shot in the arm to change the club's fortunes. But, yeah, so they got the win over Melbourne Victory in there. What was a pretty, pretty fiercely contested match? I think there was five yellow cards in the first half to Adelaide United, wasn't there? I think there was, yeah. yeah. So, mm. look, Adelaide got a win. They stopped their slide of results and really, really asserting that top four uh, dominance. Yeah, look, I think that was the important thing. I think um, uh, most of the crowd that were actually there wouldn't have just thought that's a great three points. They would actually said, you know what, I still believe in the side. Yeah. Uh, we're not finished for this season. I think that was probably more important than the three points. Mm. Yeah, when you look at the side, they have still have a lot of quality. So... Provided they stay there or thereabouts in okay form, once the finals start, anything can really happen, which is what 
the main attraction of this competition is. Um, moving on to Saturday's results now. So Western Sydney Wanderers got their fifth win in a row, so they're currently the form side of the competition by a country mile uh, against Newcastle Jets. It was a 2-1 win. Yusuf Hersey scored yet another goal. He's been on fire lately. He has been. And Mark Bridge, the other um, informed striker, hmm. got another goal. It was a pretty nice finish as well, I have to say. Um Newcastle got a consolation goal through Ruben Zadkovic, but look, they still lost the match. Uh, Saturday? I don't think they deserved to win. Um, I think the Wanderers were certainly yeah. the better of the two teams, um, but I wouldn't discount either of those two sides come the um, the final series. Yeah, well, what is interesting is that they are, the Newcastle Jets actually had 64% of the possession, but basically all of the Wanderers' possession was in Newcastle's half, so mm. it's really more about taking taking their chances, using their possession effectively. Correct. Yeah, so um, the other match of Saturday was the, probably one of the more interesting ones. It was the interactive match that was held at Amy Park with the... Now, what, now what does that uh, mean? So basically there was a, sh- a ton of uh, live tweeting of the game. There was competitions to play FIFA on the big screen of the stadium at half-time, that no. sort of thing. Yep, and all the players from Melbourne Heart had their Twitter handles written on the back of their shirt instead of their names, except for Ellie Bavage, who had at Melbourne Heart, because I, I'm guessing he doesn't have Twitter. But yeah, so it was a inter- pretty interesting match. Any, um, any feedback about that at all? Um, so basically most of the press coming out of it was that it was really well run and it was an interesting take on uh, you know social media and, and the sport. And that, that's really what they, the heart needs to do. They need to look for new ways to promote, their, to promote their side because at the moment, if you're going purely on football terms, no one's going to want to support the heart when they have the victory. True, true. So, and indeed, they were, they're looking for more connectedness into the yeah. community. Yeah. But yeah, and on, another interesting point was that they had a fan-designed third strip, which is, is what they did have last season as well, but this, this time as well they had the whole advent of the interactive match thing. So, yeah. Right, okay. Yeah, interesting, interesting concept. Uh, I'm not sure whether they're going to try something next season. But yeah, it, it it couldn't couldn't help couldn't hurt them. I, I would say trying to you know reach out to the fans a bit more. Uh, and of course, they won. Yeah, they won as well. Eli Babaj, Nick Kalmar got a nice free kick. He's been a bit uh, lost since his uh, debut season in the in the uh, hard colours. But yeah, it was nice. Once again, see. a good strong side at home. Yeah. Um, indeed, have suffered away from home. But of course, it um, just reinforced, or indeed was the final nail in um, in the coffin of the manager for Perth Glory. Yeah. Mm. Okay, and then closing out the weekend was the. Oh, somewhat infamous uh, Sydney FC match <laughs> where Del Piero got yet another goal. It's his, I think, almost 12th, I think, 12th or 13th of the season now. Uh, Peter Triantis got the winner, uh, sandwiched beto- sandwiching a Brisbane Raw penalty to Bessart Barisha, uh, which he duly converted. I've got to say, though, um, just in regard to Del Piero, he, he is scoring goals, and it's certainly he's it, it, it clearly incredibly important for um, for Sydney's run in towards the end of the season. But I think just his his capacity on the ball is still enough to have people who appreciate good football coming to watch him. I oh. think if he wasn't scoring goals, you'd still see enough to be able to say, "Got to go and see Del yes, Piero." Definitely. Mm. But this this um, weekend's results has actually put an interesting um, situation in in for the finals. As, if it stays as it stands, we'll have both the Sydney and Melbourne derbies in the final six. Um, I think there would be some people at the FA rubbing their hands together yeah, with that. So Nick. That if, would be a super turnover. If, if, if that was they the could case. get first weekend of finals being Melbourne versus Melbourne and Sydney versus Sydney. That would pretty much set it up for the rest of the... Um, or, know, in, or indeed, maybe Sydney versus Melbourne and Sydney yeah. versus Melbourne. Yeah, um, so. Little Red and Big Blue. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so uh, 
with maybe the other game being the north coast and um, and south australia yeah. uh, who knows yeah uh, so we'll actually, we'll actually quickly go to the Socceroos match versus Romania. Now, I wasn't uh, able to see this match, unfortunately, because, well, I was sleeping in. I'm a teenager. But, <laughs> but yeah, so Romania were quickly went in front through uh, somewhat Tenese. I, I don't know how you pronounce this one. But uh, we were able to go in front later on. Uh, Luke Wilshere grabbed a penalty for us towards the end of the first half. And then Robbie Cornthwaite continued his brilliant goal-scoring form. He's our best striker at the moment. Uh, to take the lead. I, I do say the word striker with a bit of sarcasm here, but it's three goals in six games. You can't really beat that ratio. Look, that's down in the record books now. Yeah, mm. so, uh, but unfortunately we did collapse late on. Maybe Holger made too many changes and didn't give his substitutes well enough, good enough instructions. Uh, two goals in the space of four minutes in the final ten minutes of the match uh, gave the win to Romania. However, they are ranked above us in the FIFA World Rankings, depending on whether you view those as valid or not. Uh, Look, I think yeah. they. I think the important thing is I, I never saw the game. Uh, only running off what it, um, it is that I could read about the, the, the match, but I was keeping my head that the, the fact that hey, I, I really don't know why it was played in Malaga, and, and perhaps it's all about the domestic um, players that would be more available or be more easier to organise. But it actually was a friendly game that was more about our manager or coach working out the best system for the players that he has available to ensure that we are as best prepared as we can for our next World Cup qualifier in a short period of time. Yeah, well, the problem is, though, looking at the starting 11, out of those uh, 11 players who took the field, five of those were based in Asia. So you've got your Cornthwaite, Neil, uh, I mean, Neil was only just released by his Asian club. I still yep. assume he's there or thereabouts. Bresciano, who's playing in the Middle East. Then you've got Mackay, then you've got Brosk. So they're also uh, based in Korea and uh, I think Saudi Arabia or mm. UAE, respectively. Nine time zones away. Yeah, and yeah. then you've got Luke Wilshire, who's in Russia, which is pretty far away from Spain when you really think about it. Uh, not as quite as far as Perth to Wellington, but mm. it's uh, it's still it's still quite a hike. I'm, I'm a bit confused as to why Schwarzer was once again started. We know he's a good keeper. I don't see why we need to keep giving him the chance to prove himself. Now, I'm, I'm perplexed about the um, the Schwarzer appointment yeah. as well. It, mm. If it was me, I probably would not have started... So the starting 11, by the way, was Schwarzer, Wilkshire, Cornthwaite, Neil, Zolo, playing at left-back. Uh, Holland and Bresciano was the uh, two holding midfielders. And we had Robbie Cruz on the right flank, Brett Holman playing in that central attacking midfielder role, um, Matt McKay on the left flank, and Alex Brosk uh, up front leading the line. So I probably would not have picked Brosk, uh, Neil, or Schwarzer to start, or... Probably Bresciano either, to mm. be quite honest. I would have tried to, you know, give some chances to the younger players, which, you know... Game time's important. Yeah, yeah. so we had we had uh, Federici come on, McGowan come on, Williams come on, Milligan come on, and Rukovitsa come on, uh, as well as Lecky. So I'm not sure why they didn't start. Like, these are our generation next players. They're the ones who more, more than likely be around in 2014 as opposed to the players that they took the field in, in place of. Mm. So I'm not sure why in a friendly that doesn't really matter... Six weeks before a qualifier. If it was two days before a qualifier, I could understand fielding a strong lineup to try and get those into some match cohesion. But for mm. a one-off friendly, I thought he could have done some more experimentation. I, I, I totally agree with you, Nick. What, what I would like to see happen was a, a little more transparency on the, on the part of Ozic. Um, it would be nice if he actually spoke us through the particular decisions he's made. That way he's beginning, whether or not you like what he does or not, but um, just simply be able to, to, to paint the picture in front of it as why he's made the choices he has, I think would be a really good thing for the Australian footballing public. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, that is all we have time for today. But uh, thanks for coming in, Joe. Yeah, thoroughly uh, enjoyed myself. Yeah, so uh, we'll be back next week with our usual spin on the A League. I will be going on about how well the Mariners are going. And <laughs> Watch it. The new post. Get there first. Post, get there first. The near post, get there first. Don't get there second, don't get there third. The near post, get there first. If it's for football news that you thirst, the near post, get there, get there first.